0: yeah it's what we say so that's right and because all we do is give every thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast idiot of the week we round up the stupid because you know what somebody has to okay all we do is give
1: when is the last time you didn't feel enough if you relate to that question Check out the podcast, Authentically Us. This is where we talk about what it means to be authentic in everything that you do in every space that you occupy. Join us on this journey. Hey, all. This is Glenn Kirshner, and you're listening to Muller She Wrote. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist.
0: Hello, and welcome to Mueller, She Wrote. I'm the host formerly known as A.G., And today we have a very special episode as news has just broken that the National Archives has confirmed to Congress that there were classified national security documents among the 15 boxes of items stolen from the White House by Donald Trump. I will read that letter from the archivist responding to congressional inquiry. Then I'll be joined by basically my co-host these days, the author of Compromised and former FBI chief of counterespionage who led the investigation into Hillary's use of a private email server. The one and only Pete Strzok. I'm looking forward to that discussion. Uh, First, I have a couple of brief stories for you ahead of that interview, including a potential snag for Manafort's book deal by the Mueller investigation head of Team Manafort himself, Andrew Weissman, who is back from his months of radio silence. And we also have U.S. intelligence officials accusing a right wing news site of spreading Russian propaganda. Surely not, no. Then, of course, we'll wrap up with the Fantasy Indictment League. So, Let's get to those stories first with Just the Facts. First up from Andrew Weissman, writing for Just Security. News that Paul Manafort has written a book, scheduled to be published this summer, is not surprising. He had texted about doing so during the Mueller investigation. And as a result, the government anticipated as much when Manafort pled guilty before the Honorable Amy Berman Jackson... In September 2018, shortly before his second trial, the month before, he had been found guilty of various felonies by a jury in the Eastern District of Virginia. He was convicted. A lot of people forget that. The agreement he entered into with the government allowed him to write anything he wanted, but provided he couldn't profit from it. And that's a provision that the government uses when defendants in high-profile matters might seek to profit from their crimes. Right? Judge Jackson specifically noted the provision before accepting Manafort's guilty plea. She pointed it out. She says, just remember... You keep in mind, here's the provision. Your client agrees not to accept remuneration or remuneration or compensation of any sort, directly or indirectly, from the dissemination through any means, including but not limited to books, articles, speeches, blogs, podcasts, and interviews, however disseminated regarding the conduct of, encompassed by the statement or the offense or the investigation by the office or prosecution of any criminal or civil case against him you can't make you can't make money from a book or a podcast or a blog or anything like it now weisman says there's a few legal issues one is whether the pardon covers this does that void this provision of the plea agreement weisman says no surely not no the plea agreement is a contract between the department of justice and manafort which can be specifically enforced the pardon did not purport to address this provision It wasn't in the pardon any more than the forfeitures Manafort agreed to in this agreement, which the Department of Justice is still going after, kind of. The second issue is whether Manafort has been paid directly or indirectly by his publisher or any other party, because without that, there's no violation of the plea agreement. If he's not doing, if he's not getting any money, there you go. Now, this issue is one that the Department of Justice can readily resolve through a phone call to the publisher, according to Weissman. And that brings us to his third point whether the department will take any action. It has discretion not to, in the same way it chose not to seek to enforce the full forfeiture provision set out in the plea agreement. But the issues that may have animated that forfeiture decision are different than those at issue here, whether defendants should be permitted to profit from crimes. The department can seek enforcement of this provision of the plea agreement and disgorge or attach any payments. The department has another harsher remedy other than specific performance. If Manafort breaches the plea agreement, he can be prosecuted for the crimes for which he was not pardoned. The pardon was very narrow, Weissman says, and only covered crimes Manafort was convicted and sentenced for, leaving a host of other criminal charges, least of which Weissman explained in his book, Where Law Ends, inside the Mueller investigation. That Kalimnik stuff, that was chargeable. And the court has already found that Manafort breached his plea agreement when he lied to the government after he pled guilty so this is just an additional breach and justification for government action now weissman says as an aside it appears from the detailed description of his book that manafort is borrowing a page from flynn and is now saying he's not guilty of the crimes for which he pleaded guilty to under that oath that he took in front of the court and but that would amount to an admission of perjury and intentional false statements Since Manafort told the special counsel's office in the court, he had, in fact, committed those crimes. So, interesting side note. Thanks to Andrew Weissman. Glad you're back in the spotlight. Well, maybe not in the spotlight, but at least putting stuff out there. And in another story, U.S. intelligence officials on Tuesday of of this past week accused a conservative financial news website with a significant American readership of amplifying Kremlin propaganda and alleged five media outlets targeting Ukrainians have taken direction from Russian spies. The officials said Zero Hedge, which has 1.2 million Twitter followers, you guys, 1.2 million, published articles created by Moscow-controlled media that were then shared by outlets and people unaware of their nexus to Russian intelligence. The officials did not say whether they thought Zero Hedge knew of any other links to spy agencies and did not allege direct links between the website and Russia. The officials briefed the Associated Press on the condition of anonymity, And it was the latest effort by President Joe Biden's administration to release U.S. intelligence findings about Russian activity involving Ukraine as part of a concerted push to expose and influence the moves of Russian President Vladimir Putin's U.S. officials previously accused Putin of planting a false flag operation to create a pretext to invade Ukraine and detailed what they believe are final stage Russian preparations for, for an invasion. Officials describe for the first time what they say are direct communications between Russian spies and the editors or directors of these media outlets. They didn't release the records of those comms. Some of those articles are listed, uh, listed are being written by people affiliated with the Strategic Culture Foundation, SVR. The Biden administration sanctioned the foundation last year for allegedly taking part in Russia's interference in the 2020 election. U.S. intelligence officials allege the foundation's leaders ultimately take direction from the SVR. So it's not the SVR, but they take direction from them. And that's the Russian Foreign Intelligence Service, by the way. Recent articles listed as authored by the Foundation and published by Zero Hedge include headlines such as NATO sliding towards war against Russia in Ukraine. Uh, Americans need a conspiracy theory they can all agree on. And theater of absurd, Pentagon demands Russia explain troops on Russian soil. So all this background noise you're hearing that NATO and Biden are starting a war, all of that is coming from Russia. It's being backed by the Republican Party and right-wing pundits in the United States. All right. Now, onto that letter that the archives sent to Congress, um, responding to their questions about those 15 boxes of stuff that trump stole from mar-a-lago it's february 18th is dated 2022 from uh, the honorable karen or to the honorable karen maloney chairwoman of oversight and reform and it says dear madam chairwoman i write in response to your letter of february 9th right nine days ago in which you asked a number of questions regarding the 15 boxes of stuff first question you said you asked did the archives ask The representatives of the former president about missing records prior to the 15 boxes being identified? If so, what information was provided? And the answer Archives had ongoing communications with the representatives of former President Trump throughout 2021, which resulted in the transfer of 15 boxes to the National Archives in January of 2022. Doesn't really answer the question, but okay. Has National Archives conducted an inventory of the contents of the boxes? Answer We are in the process of inventorying the contents of the boxes. Number three, Carolyn Maloney says, please provide detailed description of the contents of the recovered boxes, including any inventory prepared by the National Archives of the Contents of the Boxes. So give us the contents. Give us the inventory. If an inventory has not yet been completed, please provide an estimate of when it will be completed. And the answer, archive staff are in the process of inventorying the contents of the boxes. We expect to be complete by February 25th. Because the records in the boxes are subject to the Presidential Records Act, any request for information regarding the content of the records will need to be made in accordance with Section 2205-2C of the Presidential Records Act. Number four, are the contents uh, of the boxes of records recovered by the archives undergoing a review to determine if they contain classified information? If so, who's conducting that review? And has any classified information been found? The archives has identified items marked as classified national security information within the boxes. Now there are a few other questions here. I'm going to go over them and what what does that mean? National security information. Classified national security. What does that mean? And who would know better than Pete struck? We're going to talk to him right after this break. Stay with us.
1: When's the last time you didn't feel enough? If you relate to this question, you want to check out our podcast Authentically Us. Yes, guys. Our podcast, Authentically Us, is where we talk about what it means to be authentic in everything that you do, in every space that you occupy. Tony and I created this podcast to create a space um, to talk about just who we are, our experiences, and just things that we are going through. Yes. So come join us with the journey as we figure out what it means to be authentic together.
0: And today, I am joined by the author of the book, Compromised, which, if you haven't purchased and read, you must Pete struck Pete hello, hey, how are you i'm I'm uh doing well. I had a whole thing planned out. We were gonna talk about r- new Mueller report releases <laughs> uh and then all of a sudden this drops, which was stuff that we we were assuming, but now it's been officially. I guess, confirmed in a letter from the National Archivist, David Ferriero, to Congress because, as we know, uh, Maloney wrote and said and asked a bunch of questions, and now he's responded. And one of those responses, if I'm looking at the letter here, is number four. She asked, are the contents of the boxes, records, recovered by the National Archives, and this is the 15 boxes that down at Mar-a-Lago that you and I discussed last week, undergoing a review to determine if they contain classified information, and if so, who's conducting that review, and has any classified information been found? And the answer is... Uh, the National Archives has identified items marked as classified national security information within the boxes. And that's a little bit of a different term of art than what they were saying earlier. Some were just classified, some even marked top secret. Can you explain what classified national security information is?
2: Yes. So national security information is a term of art. It's something that's defined in a couple of executive orders. I looked up one. I mean, the the most recent one is 13292. But that's amending executive order 12958 but essentially and it relates there's another one i think related to the atomic energy act but it's essentially something that the government in this case is an executive order so the president is ordering this that any information that requires protection against unauthorized disclosure and is marked to indicate its classified status so your listeners may recall and i think we talked in a previous conversation about the idea of national defense information. And that is a term that shows up in Title 18, which is the US Criminal Code. And if you're going to charge somebody with espionage or unauthorized disclosure, or unauthorized retention, um, most of those statutes refer to the term national defense information. So this is slightly different from that. This is not something you're going to see in the federal criminal code, but it is very much something that kind of in the administrative processes of the United States government, the president who sets Kind of classification policy and in this case issues executive orders to at least which apply to this saying national security information that term if you hear it is information again that the the this the phrase of the definition is information which requires protection against unauthorized disclosure and is marked to indicate its classified status. So again, a little bit, a couple of nuances in there that not only is it in need of protection, but also that it is marked. So in this case, reading that answer, this is not just something where the president might've jotted down notes from a meeting and it wasn't for those in the government who have seen classified information. Typically you have like at the header and footer of every page will have the classification, the highest level of classification of the document. And then you'll have what are called portion marks so that each paragraph or section or title within the, the document itself. will have an individual classification, because you might have one paragraph which is classified top secret, you might have a title which is under like a header. In the middle of it, which is unclassified, then you might have another you know paragraph which is only at the secret level, so the, the markings like that. Are things that would be defined by national security information. So when you read this, read that answer to be: this is information that was appropriately determined by executive order to require protection by being classified, and two that it was marked as such. So you know it would have things on it um, stating the classification and why that's important. Um, it's important for a couple of reasons. One is that. You know, it, it clearly demonstrates that there isn't in all likelihood much of a question about whether or not it's classified. But the primary reason that's important is it becomes much harder for somebody to say, oh, it was my notes. I didn't know if they're classified. I didn't even think about it. I was throwing everything in a box. Well, if somebody's putting things in a box and you come across this document that says top secret on the top and on the bottom and you get little TSs in front of all these paragraphs, it's much harder for somebody to claim, oh, I had no idea that this was classified because it's clearly marked as such. So, again, that's when national security information, two things, executive order determines that it needs protection um, to, to protect the national defense, and two, that it's marked as classified.
0: And, and why would you need to claim that you didn't know? I mean, you're saying it's harder to claim, you know, that you didn't know. I, I, I claim to law enforcement, claim to your boss, because I know, you know, if I walked out of uh, Department of Veterans Affairs with something marked like that and went home, Um, Even if it's not national defense security and falls under criminal code, uh, I I would certainly be fired. But what do you do to a former president who's doing this? I mean, how is that? I mean, aside from what we spoke about last week, that that the Department of Justice, which NARA also confirmed they have been in contact with regarding this uh, information, you know, aside from them going in and conducting an investigation as to who has had access to these records, or if, you know, like we talked about, r- Russia has a couple of people working in housekeeping. Um, and, and that Mar-a-Lago is, is a, a national security problem, and it has been for quite a while. How? Ha- what? What do you do there? But like, is this just sort of an administrative type of a Hatch Act thing where it's like, well, my bad, I, I was president and you, it's not against the law, but it's bad, sure, and I apologize. And, you know, maybe, maybe Comey can come out and make an announcement that I had it. But what, what else could go on here with the Department of Justice besides sort of that national security sweep?
2: Well, I think that question is exactly the reason you have to have an FBI investigation. I mean, all these things, there are a hundred different... Well, There are many, many different permutations of how this might, you know, kind of lead out from whatever the facts may be. But at the end of the day, you can't make a determination about what should or shouldn't be done, what did or didn't happen if you don't first go in and ask those questions. And the way you do that is through an investigation. So if I were still in the FBI, if I were investigating, I find this out. I mean, there are any number of questions that immediately pop into mind and There are two big buckets. One is, is there a violation of criminal law? Did somebody do something that violates 18 U.S.C. 793 or 1924 or 50 U.S.C. 78? There are a bunch of different statutes that potentially could apply when somebody unlawfully retains classified information. The second big bucket is from a counterintelligence perspective. What if any of this information was compromised? You know, this is at a minimum, this is a spill. This is, you know, as Prior media reporting indicates it sounds like top secret SCI material that was maintained in an unauthorized way. And that points to all those concerns that you just mentioned about, well, you know, it's one thing if Trump had access to it, but did he keep it out, you know, in the kitchen, you know, by the ballroom at Mar-a-Lago where everybody was coming and going and could go in it? You know, who might have seen it? Who might have been trying to get it? What was the the people who packed it up? Did Trump pack it up? Did other people pack it up? Did they just were they just grabbing documents that he was pointing at, or did he say, go into the, my bedroom and just put everything that's in there in a box? You know, when it was there, was it unpacked? Was it still in a box? If it was unpacked, who unpacked it? Who else had access to it? Did anybody read it? Did he talk about it? Just but there there are there, there are all these scores and scores and scores of questions which are very logical questions that the fbi does day in day out when you investigate things like that but at the end of the day the answers to those questions are going to inform what you do about it. So, I mean, there are things that give me some concern. I mean, one of it that really s- stood out to me, and I think it was in the Washington Post, uh, some of their reporting that indicated that as some of the stuff was going up to the archives, Trump himself didn't want anybody else around him, didn't want anybody looking at it, that he was you know, telling people to stay away. Well, if that's true, the question is why, why are you doing that? I mean, to the extent that if you are, for most crimes, our criminal code in most cases relies on you know, something called ciento, your state of mind, your knowledge that what you were doing was wrong, that it was illegal or that you shouldn't be doing it because, you know, there are ways, you know, you can, you can inadvertently do something and ignorance is not a defense, but certainly when it comes to charging federal crimes, you want to be able to show that somebody knew better, that they were deliberately, you know, trying to hide something or obscure something. And so all these questions about, you know, what was said to who as it was being packed up you know, whether or not it was marked, it sounds like it was marked, but, you know, if somebody is just packing up some of his scribblings on a notepad, it's very easy for me, if I was told to go into a room and pack everything up, and I say, hey, I just grabbed every notepad and piece of paper on the table, I didn't see anything, that is a very, you know, that is a reasonable explanation that points to a, you know, non-criminal behavior, but if it is you know, I went in there and I saw this and it said top secret on the top and the bottom. And I got worried and I asked Trump, hey, should we be taking it? And he said, shut up, just put it in the box. That all of a sudden then pushes into behavior that is potentially, you know, there's some criminal liability there. Again, without diving too deep in a rabbit hole, it becomes difficult because at the time this was being packed up, presumably he was still the president of the United States. He had the ability to declassify whatever he wanted. The whole debate about, you know, even if he could do that, some of his kind of random rantings on Twitter and and other statements where he was going to declassify everything that the Department of Justice and the White House has argued in the past administration didn't constitute declassification orders, it gets very complicated. But all those complicated questions are at the end of this process. What needs to happen now is a thorough investigation to sit there and gather information about what this information is, the scope of the information that was classified, how it was handled, how it was packed, how it was moved out of the White House, what was done with it in Mar-a-Lago, and then I mean we can talk about it if you want. But there are all these other things in the in the letter talking about you know people who are using messaging systems and potentially email, which were not ever forwarded into official and government record keeping systems. So whether that's you know, personal iMessage accounts or WhatsApp or Proton Mail or whatever the case may be, that they found information in that material that was never placed into a U.S. government record system. So it was not ever texted into or email forwarded into an official U.S. government account. And the fact that this material is being found in these boxes then begs the question of, okay, he turned over 15 boxes, but what the hell else is still down at Mar-a-Lago? So again, a bunch of questions. It's completely normal to have a bunch of questions, and that's why you do an investigation. And that's why the FBI and DOJ have to investigate this, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, and I guess another question of mine is why they haven't already. I mean, what it, what it seems like is that the National Archives was working on this to get the boxes back, and they didn't know there was classified information in these boxes until they started going through them, and that's when they contacted the Department of Justice. Although, in the Washington Post article, they said, we, you know, we, we had threatened Donald Trump, that we were going to go to Congress or the Department of Justice if he didn't hand over these boxes. And so I guess my my number one question is why the why the history cops over at National Archives back in May, when they realized these boxes were down there, didn't directly go to the FBI and say, there's boxes of stuff missing down at Mar-a-Lago. We don't know what's in them. Maybe you guys should do do something about this. Instead, they tried to negotiate for almost a year to try to get these things back and only now are discovering this. And meanwhile, we've had eight months, nine months of, of potential problems um, of people having access to those documents. I, I don't understand why they didn't immediately call the FBI. I,
2: I think it depends. And that's, I'm sure, a question that'll get asked. I would hope that somebody in Congress at a minimum would ask the the archivist, you know, why did this take so long? It may well be, you know, at the beginning, they assumed it was the big NOAA map where he took the Sharpie and extended the path into Georgia or whatever he did to, you know, play weatherman and, you know, Putin's soccer ball, and they assumed it was just things like that that should not have been taken down to Mar-a-Lago. And then at some point later in the process is when they saw that there was in fact classified information. Now I, I don't know that. I mean, that is a knowable answer. I think at some point, you know, whenever it was first reported, the question is, well, you know, we heard about what was it two, two or three weeks ago? I mean, time blurs together in, in Trump world. Um, but at least I think several weeks ago where there was that first reporting that there's classified. So some people might say, well, why didn't the FBI open a case right then? You know, all this time has passed. Well, you know, if there's stuff in that material that is damning or, you know, very, very inculpatory, Trump's had eight months plus to destroy it. So I think if from DOJ's perspective, I can understand because this is so politically fraught I, I don't think they get around it. I think there has to be an investigation. I think, of course, Trump is going to scream bloody murder that he's being targeted politically and call for everybody's execution, like he did with. Uh, well, he's going to do that. Just recently.
0: You, yeah, well, it's, I, I used to be
2: proud that I was like, it was like four of us, and I could say Trump asked for my execution, and now it's just anybody can get into that club now. So oh. it's not, <laughs> it's not as exclusive anymore. But you know, I, so i don't i think it is reasonable that the department would say to the archives hey take a beat um we hear that you know you've got you've seen something do us a favor can you kind of you've got all 15 boxes in your possession can you kind of go through it all and catalog and figure out you know come to us and say you know instead of a phone call you know written down a post-it note we've got two documents that look like this you know write a nice letter that kind of lists everything out and that then DOJ can take that and say, all right, you know, based on the totality of this, we need to open an investigation. Again, what a criminal in what should happen, I think it's pretty clear, but I don't know what will happen. A two-pronged investigation, one, to determine whether or not any national security laws were broken, and two, a counterintelligence investigation to understand whether or not any of this information was compromised, whether any sources and methods were placed in jeopardy. So I again, I expect if that hasn't happened, it will. Um, I I think it will, it it will not be long before the public will know it because Trump will scream about it. I am very curious to see how, in most cases, the FBI, upon hearing that, that there was classified would move very quickly to say, okay, and again, this is, hard and fast history. It is what we did with David Petraeus. It's what we did with uh, John Deutsch. It's what we did with Sandy Berger. It's what we did with Hillary Clinton. When you find out that there is classified there, you immediately go, in this case, to the attorneys of the person, because everybody's represented, and say, hey, we have reason to believe that there's classified. And we need to get all of these things. We need to see the other boxes, get access. We need to get access to the computers, wherever the case may be, where that classified was, and very quickly get, because typically attorneys are good, and they say, all right, well, and if you have to, they usually, if they're good attorneys, don't need to be told because we'll go get a search warrant if you don't voluntarily turn it over. In Trump's case, he may need to be told that. And in Trump's case, he may, you know, put up a stink. And I don't I'm certain the department is not because he is a president, a past president. It's not the same as somebody who is a retired four star general or a retired director of central intelligence or a re- former secretary of state. It is a different it is a different type of person which entails additional legal analysis of what is or isn't required, but whatever that analysis is, and I would hope that that has already been going on by really big brained attorneys in OLC and elsewhere. To get very quickly to Trump and say in the first instance okay what, what else do you have, do you have more classified and then all the questions that are going to come out of that to to things you need to do to answer those questions that we talked about earlier.
0: Right, because he is a citizen, but that doesn't mean there aren't additional legal considerations that have to be made if you're going to knock on Mar-a-Lago's door at five in the morning and go in to look for classified stuff. So, yeah, I, I, I totally understand that, and that can take some time. And I wanted to ask you one more question before I let you go, and this has to do with Meadows, because in number eight in this letter from the National Archives, they uh, Maloney asked, is Nara aware of presidential records that Trump destroyed or attempted to destroy Without the approval of the archives, please provide detailed descriptions of such records and the actions taken by a former President Trump to destroy or attempt to destroy them and any actions NARA has taken to recover or preserve the documents. And the answer is they learned in, in June of 2018, like all of us did, that the National Archives learned that he was tearing stuff up and had a burn bag and all that and, tape, and there were staff trying to tape stuff back together. So they sent a letter to the deputy counsel, to the president, saying... Um, asking for information about the extent of the problem, and the council said they would address the matter. And then it says here, after the end of the Trump administration, Nara learned that additional paper records had been torn up and taped back together, uh, et cetera. And then there's also something in here uh, about social media, Uh, And that's in in number five, social media. uh, NARA has identified certain social media records that were not captured. And NARA has also learned that some White House staff conducted official business using non-official electronic messaging accounts that were not copied and forwarded as they're supposed to under the PRA, the Presidential Records Act. And Meadows immediately came to mind. And the reason he came to mind is because he's being investigated right now for criminal contempt of Congress for skirting a subpoena. And my question to you is is an FBI sort of investigatory question. Could it be taking so long? If you're investigating him just for this misdemeanor, Four Corners criminal contempt, and you find out he's been... He's got a signal app and has been not handing over archives. Can you then start investigating that, too? Or is that some sort of Fourth Amendment problem? Do you have to get a warrant to go into those records again, like they just did with Kawaja and, and George Nader? They had to get an additional warrant to go into a thumb drive they already had in their possession. Or is that, could that be what's taking so long? Can you just tack on an investigation like that? Or, or are they only supposed to look at this criminal contempt thing separately?
2: I think you can I mean there's a lot wrapped up in that question I don't think that you need if the information was in the holdings of the archives I don't know that there's a requirement to go get a search warrant to look at it I think there's an ability if it is a. If it is a a record that you don't it's it's a government record you don't the government typically typically doesn't serve warrants on itself to get that. So I think there's some ability if Meadows has that information that it is in the holdings of the archives to be able to take a look at it. I think the reason, one of the reasons I assume that Meadows is taking much longer than say Bannon did was that Meadows was, Bannon was a private citizen. And so Bannon's claims and the the legal question of whether or not he was the privilege extended to Bannon as a private, citizen in his communications with the president is a very different question of whether or not privilege of the president's chief of staff attaches. And I think that's one of several things potentially that DOJ is trying to figure out before they issue um, open a case and then from that choose to uh, indict or not indict Meadows for contempt. But going to that, I mean, I I think certainly Meadows is there. Again, like I think most people I've read public information that indicating that he and Jared and Ivanka were using WhatsApp, they were using Signal, they were using potentially iMessage and other systems to communicate, none of which, from the way I read five, the same way you do, none of that was getting captured by U.S. government systems. And so, you know, that differs somewhat from, you know, Secretary Clinton, because one of the things she told us was like, look, I, you know, yes, I was using this system, but A, it was things that my predecessors like Colin Powell did and others and Condoleezza Rice potentially because the State Department IT systems were so bad. And then two, people I were talking to were in the State Department. So even if I was using this private server, the people that I was emailing at that state.gov account that was being captured by the state record keeping systems. Well, from this and reading number five, there's, it sounds like this entire little ecosystem of people within the White House who are talking amongst themselves and with others. You know, one interesting thing that you say, again, that I read, I don't know true or not, that, you know, Kushner was using private, you know, WhatsApp and other systems to talk with foreign leaders and foreign officials, which is a whole nother disaster from a counterintelligence perspective. But, you know, the point being just the sheer it's all Projection. It's a projection or grift, right? I mean, everything that they were accusing Clinton of, everything they were saying about, you know, sloppy mishandling and locker-up, it was things time and time and time again that they were doing themselves. Um, so that, that's the thing. And then just to go back to the first part of your question, the last, you didn't read the best part of question number eight at the very end, <laughs> which says, although White House staff during the Trump administration recovered and taped together some of the torn-up records a number of other torn up records that were transferred had not been reconstructed by the white house so i take it i mean what is that Fucking boxes of confetti that they open up and it's all these little you know stubby trump finger torn up pieces of paper just in a big like you know packing material i don't i have visions when i read that uh you know I'm, I'm sadly old enough to remember the after the iranians stormed the u.s embassy in tehran in 1979 and they had gone through and attempted to shred a bunch of stuff They brought in and published these photographs of rooms full of, they would got a lot of people who had been carpet rug manufacturers, uh, makers, weavers, artisans, um, to take on these little bits of shredded paper and they would sit there and turn them around and match them up and they were able to reconstruct these shredded documents, so I have this Vision of a new, you know, branch, and they'll bring in like modular trailers or something, and park them outside of the archives, and put a bunch of people in there with all the little Trump confetti, trying to piece together all these documents that apparently um, still have not been reconstructed that are that are sitting there. So that let's would be get exciting. Quantico. Um, let's
0: get Quantico classes to do it.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure now there are ways. There are better ways to do it. I would imagine. <laughs> you know, you can. I can imagine an enterprising computer scientist, given the ability we have to uh-huh. scan things and kind of go through the permutations of fitting things back together, that might be an, a job more easily done in an automated fashion than a manual one. But I like to envision, again, just trailers on the mall by the archives as the tourists walk by. And those can be the those are the Trump confetti trailers and everybody can take their picture in front while they you know, eat their little ice cream sandwich from the street vendor.
0: Yeah, I also I also think it's interesting that they say in this letter, we told them and we told the council and and the White House council deputy said that they told him and they were informed that this was against the Presidential Records Act. And so that that to me shows that they knew it was against the law, Uh, whether there's malintent there or not. I don't know if that's a different, separate thing, but just knowing that it's illegal, uh, because he's he skated on n- not knowing a bunch of stuff was illegal, and we've learned that from these new unredacted bits of the Mueller report, and and the fact that Don Jr. couldn't be indicted for what happened at Trump Tower that day, um, too too dumb to crime. Yeah. We we said exactly, but yeah. you know yeah. I I I can't help but wonder if if by telling them and them being alerted, and in that nine page subpoena from the one six committee to Ivanka, they attached that letter that memo, the same thing that they sent. Uh, to the White say so you you can't destroy presidential records and and everything you do for the government has to be turned in, and that was a nine page letter. It was much longer and much more involved than anyone else's, and so I thought that that was telling, quite telling that hey, we want everyone to know, and we want you to know. We told you,
2: yeah, and they're not going to be able to avoid they are not going to be able to credibly claim they did not know. They needed to maintain this, and there's another data point. I think it was American Oversight, maybe, but in any case, a nonprofit who had sued, I think via FOIA, but had asked for records, and they had gone to a judge. I want to say this was December of last year, maybe, but or or rather of uh, 19, and asked for an injunction to the White House, essentially saying, "Hey, we want. We're worried that documents are being destroyed. We want an injunction to preserve them." And DOJ countered that argument saying no they've been put on notice they know they're not to destroy them and so the court you know they didn't get their emergency injunction from the court based on the representations of doj that everybody at the white house had been informed of the fact that they were supposed to maintain these records so there are all these and that's a court filing by career doj attorney which i'm sure was a you know they're reading this and that was probably not the proudest moment of their lives as they look at what they were representing before a federal judge that, you know, this thing wasn't needed because the White House was going to play by the rules. So, you know, again, like everything else, you, you work for the, you know, representing the government during the Trump administration at your own peril. But there's a lot of stuff out there that any claim that they didn't know they were not supposed to do this is going to, it's BS and it's going to fall flat.
1: Does
0: that take care of the, if there are criminal charges or if they even begin to look at that, which, of course, they'd have to open an investigation first to, to even begin to probe does that cover the um, malicious intent or, you know, the, the thing that Hillary didn't have?
2: It, it goes a long way. I mean, I think the strongest argument that I've seen to the contrary is, you know, in Cohen said, oh, that was just a Trump thing. That was like his little, you know, instead of a fidget spinner, because he was, you know, acting like a five-year-old child, he needed something to occupy his nervous energy. And so he would, instead of like, you know eating a crayon, he would take a piece of paper and rip it up just because that's sort of what he did to soothe himself. So, you know, the argument would be, oh, this isn't me trying to get rid of something that I that I Knew I should maintain. This is just something because it's what I do. Now I think that again, Robin after Banks being told time me, and time. Though, Pete. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like right, right. I just you know grew up murdering animals and people, and so that's just kind of my thing. It's so self-soothing. I don't, I don't. I don't. It's um, right. I don't. I don't think it will cover him. I think it does in terms of demonstrating intent and knowledge that that was wrong. It obviously goes a long way. And then again, the other thing is, separate and distinct from tearing it up, all the every single take your pick of whichever dozen campaign events you want, where Trump is encouraging the crowd to chant lock her up because she mishandled emails and she did all these things wrong and she should have known better and she destroyed emails and she used bleach on them and all the shit that he said again and again and again. And still, I mean, I think there was a locker up chant that went whenever that last BS event he went to a few months ago, it is hard to sit there and say, oh, you didn't know it was wrong. Well, what, what are you saying she should be locked up for? I, there, there's just no, you can't square that circle. Well, there's a so, video uh, of
0: him g- quoting the Presidential Records Act
2: with regards to Hillary. I mean, there's, yes. And there's there's a since-deleted tweet. That's the other thing I'm disappointed about now with like him being off of Twitter is like if I want to retweet some nonsense that he uh, threw out there back in the day, I have to go find somebody's screen capture of it or a recreated tweet of the Trumpism. But there's there's a tweet for everything. So I, it will be hard for him to argue that he didn't know he should have preserved these records. That he didn't know it was wrong to destroy them. It. it I, I think that is going to be a you know an easier element of all of this. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, we are out of time. Uh, maybe next time we'll talk about the the Mueller report. Roger Stone uh, <laughs> didn't get indicted um the stuff uh, because it's it's kind of i don't know i think it's interesting i'm i'm in, i'm i'm dying to know if there were arguments within the Mueller team about that although i probably probably can't talk about that uh but uh it just it seemed it seemed chargeable to me but i'm not a lawyer um and you know the fbi just investigates and it's up to the department it's up to the line prosecutors whether or not they're going to bring or Mueller himself <laughs> yeah. whether or not they're going to bring charges for these things but man that sure seemed like uh crimes to me one
2: One tease to that before you go. And I will say, I do think there, you know, I can't talk about, obviously, the internal sort of discussions that went on. But I think when you look at people like Stone and Flynn, they were obviously they were charged and they were convicted. And I think there is always a decision that you say, okay, well, if I've got this host of things which I might charge, I'm going to do this thing and leave these others because that's enough. And then nobody, I think, on the Mueller team anticipated what Barr's Department of Justice would do with both Stone and Flynn to kind of undo that sort of prosecutorial balancing and thought process. So I think there was a certain amount of good faith that went in on the prosecutor's side that was completely upended by Bill Barr and his Department of Justice, which um, make what would otherwise be reasonable decisions not so reasonable in the final analysis
0: yeah Manafort was a perfect example of that because in Andrew Weissman's book who was head of team Manafort he's like yeah we had enough with that whole Konstantin Kalimnik thing but we went with the tax stuff it was just way easier uh well, I don't know if he agreed with that method but that's that's what ended up happening um so uh, that just is sort of uh, seems what is, has gone on with these other uh two as well and, and yeah a lot of people forget that Stone and Flynn and Manafort and Bannon, they were all charged and then pardoned. Uh, well, not Bannon, you know, with the we build the wall bullshit. Uh, so, you know, it, it, people people seem to, to forget that because they're not sitting in prison right now that uh, that they didn't get charged.
2: Yeah. And when you plea, you're typically pleading out to something less than what the government could do. That's why typically you plea. The government comes and say, says, we've got you on one to ten. And we can go to trial and convict you on one to ten or you can take a plea from one to four and the defense attorney will say well let's make a deal how about one and two and so the government typically on a plea agreement agrees to let go of the rest of that so i i think that is um I, I know that's what happened in in many of these cases.
0: Yeah, cool. Well, thank you very much. Uh, yeah. I'll probably see you again next week. You know, I don't. I don't see why yeah. not. Uh, but uh, yeah, I appreciate your time again. Yeah, everybody... it can be
2: kind of an emergency <laughs> podcast when they are you know broadcasting the FBI carting up boxes from Mar-a-Lago. Jesus.
0: What's next? What's for the next? trump
2: trailer at the archives i uh, like this idea it's, a, it's the new dc tour stop anyway. yeah
0: and you can give blood while you're there it's you know
2: yeah.
0: well. uh, all right i appreciate your time everybody pick up all compromise right. the book if you get a chance and uh, we'll, we'll we'll talk soon pete struck thanks
2: awesome see you thanks
0: all right everybody it's time for the fantasy indictment league
1: i'm gonna be indicted no it is gonna be a indicted.
0: honey dick indicted
1: I'm going to be a or they can't. It's gonna be okay. Just calm down. I can't calm down.
0: I'm gonna be a pilot. now. You ready? If you had Ken Curson plea deal on your team this week, high five and give yourself five points. Close friend of Jared Kushner and Trump pardoned dickbag Ken Curson, a former editor of the New York Observer who was charged with unlawfully spying on his former wife, pled guilty on Wednesday to two misdemeanors with the opportunity to have the charges further reduced after a year. Curzon, 53, had been charged in August by the Manhattan District Attorney's Office with eavesdropping and computer trespass, both felonies, each which carry a penalty of up to four years in prison. On Wednesday, he pled guilty to attempting both crimes, but under the terms of his plea deal, if he completes 100 hours of community service and is not arrested in connection with any other crime, he will withdraw those pleas and plead to a lesser offense of second-degree harassment, a violation, uh, in a year. So... I have personal experience with that kind of bullshittery, and I don't like this 100 hours of community service shit. I'm not sure why Manhattan DA agreed to that. Keep in mind, it's no longer Cy Vance. And for my draft this week, I am keeping Team Florida to include Sabatini, Matt Gates, L.A. Key, and Jacob Engels. Out of the Southern District of New York, I draft Rudy and Tonesing, Victoria Tonesing. Out of the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office, I'm going to go with Sidney Powell. And then, based on new reporting about a search warrant issued for old Kawaja thumb drives that were in house at the FBI uh, about George Nader, uh, I'm going to draft superseding Nader indictments. George Nader. And I'll take superseding Weisselberg and superseding Trump org from the Manhattan DA's office. So that's my team is 10 this week. Um, Let's see what happens. The news just keeps heating up. I don't think it's going to calm down until after the midterms. And thanks again to Pete Strzok for his time today and get your copy of Compromised wherever books are sold. Check out this week's MSW Book Club on Corruptible by Brian Kloss out today, episode seven. And I'll be back on the Daily Beans tomorrow with Dana Goldberg. Until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, take care of your mental health and vote blue over Q. I've been A.G. and this is Mueller She Wrote.